welcome to the Lost Wells of the Galloway Glens podcast. Episode 3. More Than Water Instigated during the depths of lockdown, the Lost Wells of the Galloway Glens project tasked members of the community to research and discover lost wells in their vicinity. I visited some of the discovered wells and spoke to some of the people who found them, along the river Kendi from Carsfern in the hills to Borg on the Solway Firth. So I've visited an alliterative well, a healing well, and a spa well so far. I've wandered across sheep fields and I've hiked into thick forest. I've had time to consider minerals in the water, long gone populations, and Galloway's association with Robert Burns. In this episode, I will look at some of the wider historical movements that even just a glance into wells reveals. Back down to Kakubri Bay, and the Black Mori Plantation, a small cluster of conifers sitting just by the side of the A711, where Jennifer Roberts found the Black Murray Well was marked on the old maps. After myself and Peter Hewitt had conducted a short search of the spot amongst the bluebells and the undergrowth, we could still see no sign. This is, this is well and truly a lost well, isn't it? Um, it seems that way. But there's actually quite a lot of folklore and history written about this particular well. Um, so we're up here just above the road um, and we're looking out over to uh, Manxman's Lake which is part of the, the D estuary running into the, the Solway and it was here supposedly in the 1450s possibly into the, the, the 1550s that um, a group of either gypsies or, uh, as they were called then, blackamoors, raided this, this part of Galloway. Now, this plantation was the home of uh, an individual called Black Murray or Black Morrow or Blackamoor or variations on that name. Okay. And um, James II of Scotland issued a decree saying whoever kills this leader of these these robbers will um, be given a four-feeted piece of land uh, at Bombay which is not far from here and the tradition goes that a person um, called McClellan came to this site um, watched the people here and at night time filled the well full of strong alcohol spirits and black morrow um, drank from the well and became intoxicated and he was then killed by McClellan and that's how the McClellans of Kukubri, um got their land. Yeah, I can't imagine filling a well with enough <laughs> booze to get you that intoxicated no. that you'd allow your head to be chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of, I think it's a bit of artistic license in that story. I think definitely. And it's really interesting I find because uh, I was I was one of the reports says that Black Morrow was the head of a, a group of Saracens, mm. and it may be that, that that you know these were kind of some of the earliest um, gypsies in this this part of the world. Um, other people think that maybe that these were people who had come over from North Africa, and that's possible because Kikubri is a is a port, mm -hmm. 
at this kind of time, the medieval period, is the sixth most important port in Scotland. And we think about the East Coast ports and how important they were. It's quite something. And of course, from the from the 18th century, um, Kikubri was really quite closely involved in the, the transatlantic slave trade, sort of the triangular trade. Um, this is called Manxman's Lake because boats would, would wait here for the tides before then going to the Isle of Man to pick up supplies that they would then take to Africa to trade for, for, for human beings, take them over to, to, to America. So the idea that, that um, black people are here and living in the woods is not beyond the realms of, of possibility, but as you say, artistic license, are these fears that people are having? But you also get the, the place name Black in a lot of places, especially, I think, in Dumfries and Galloway. Yeah, yeah. Possibly. And I, I wonder if that's yeah. if that's related or if that's Could be, something yeah. else. Yeah, some people suggested that Black Morrow, um, he was just possibly a, a Scotsman, possibly an Irishman, who just, you know, did awful things. And, and in some of the accounts, like, he committed terrible outrages. Um, at night, and he would raid um, the the uh, monastery on St Mary's Isle, just over there, and the homes round about. I think it's a great example of how a, a well, a, a place essentially that human beings have created for a reason, becomes enveloped in all these really interesting stories and ideas and desires and fears that human beings have over time, and it plays directly into the sort of the history of place where we are with the port connections to the wider world, Africa, America, and it's a great well, although it's lost, it's a great well for that, for that reason. I wish we could find it. first very localised research, this well hunting and the strange tale of Black Morrow had got me thinking about a much more global part of Galloway's history. From Kakubri Bay I moved inland a little to discover another well which may also have been part of a much wider cultural movement. The fairy's well is marked on Spout Burn, just up from Twynham. Lynn Walby discovered and researched the well. I met her and Paul Connor in Kikubri, and we drove out to find it. After parking and going through a wooden gate, we followed the spout burn upstream for a short time until we came across the site marked on the 1843 Ordnance Survey map. A beautiful spot where two burns and three tracks lined with native woodland intersected. After looking about for some time, we noticed a mysterious puddle on a very dry track and a cluster of rowan trees nearby. And now we're here and it's got all the signs of being the well. Yeah. No obvious other source of the water other than Just coming, coming up from out the, the ground. ground. Mm-hmm. It's a very dry day, it's not rained for ages. So we think this is the fairy's well, we can't, it's on the spot. So what drove you to get involved in researching the wells then? Um, 
it was just so fascinating and, and water is just a crucial part of life so um, it was worth having a look mm. and and I love maps as yeah. well um, and finding your way of discovering stuff. The old maps have been really interesting and the excitement when you find a spring and then it's turned into a well in the later map uh, has been great and there's so many of them scattered all over the place that you know are no longer marked on the current maps um, because We've got mains water now. We just turn on our taps and there it is. And you were telling me about how you didn't always have water out your taps when you were growing <laughs> Oh, up. yeah. Um, when I was a child in North Yorkshire, um, we didn't have mains water. We didn't have water at all. It was bought from a, a tank that collected the rainwater. And it's so hard to believe that we just took that as normal. Uh, you know, the one bath a week in front of the fire. <laughs> and then taking groups to Africa to work in um, the community link we had in West Cumbria. Uh, there you really appreciate the water situation and how precious it is. It's an absolutely beautiful spot. If there's a spot, you know, that you would have wanted to have come to regularly, to yeah. water and sort of chat with other people in the surrounds, this would have been a... And, and they, they gave them the names, didn't they, very as well, because um, they, they wanted it to have some sort of special significance, some supernatural uh, element to it. Mm. It turns out there are actually several other wells called fairies' wells across Scotland, and that it's quite a common name for a well. An obsession with fairies emerged during the Romantic era, an artistic, literary and intellectual movement that originated in Europe towards the end of the 18th century. In most areas, the movement was at its peak around 1800 to 1840. The movement gave artists a context in which to explore things that were otherwise unacceptable in respectable circles. Nudity, mind-altering substances, dreams and the stranger reaches of the human mind. More generally, it offered some escape from a world that was becoming increasingly mechanised and industrialised. Fairies' wells were created during this fashionable fairy era, and many existing wells were reassigned the name Fairies' Well. The natural origin of our well suggests that it might have been the latter, but who knows what it might have been called before, or why it was selected for this name. Certainly, it harks back to pre-Reformation times when many wells would have had an overtly supernatural element to them. Sticking to the historical movement's theme and bringing us back to a major time specifically in Galloway's history, I chatted to Claire Martin on the phone, who carried out research near Castle Douglas. I've had a long-standing interest in history and I think because I have an interest in people. So I like to learn more about how people lived, what their lives were like, um, where they worked, you know, details like that about them. So I think the project with the wells, you know, water is such an important thing for people in, in life that it was really interesting to learn a bit more about the area in which I live in and, you know, who'd lived here before. 
I asked Claire about the wells that she discovered. I think the one that stands out the most to me from my square is Willie's Well, so it's got quite a bit of history to it. Um, it's up near the Standing Stones at the Ernest Bay Hotel, and it's called Willie's Well because a gentleman was killed near there as part of the, you know, the situation with Covenanters, so it's got quite a sad story attached to it, and it's a story that's documented in books um, because, you know, it's a, quite a lo- you know, locally significant basically. History has shaped the layout of places, you know, it shaped the structure of this t- this town that you know I live in. Um it shaped the local landscapes. I think that humans have done a lot of shaping of spaces that we might at first glance consider quite natural. Um so it's always interesting to understand a bit more about that. I think also we can learn a lot from the past, you know, as to what people did. Um, you know, when they worked more closely with the land and sort of harnessing that natural potential of it. So that's always interesting. And, um, you know, we can learn facts that are interesting, you know, about where are the water sources in this town. So I just think that's relevant. And how did you find actually doing the research? I think it's given, you know, people skills, you know, in understanding maps in greater detail and understanding the range of maps that are available going back in time. I had no idea that we had maps that went back so far that had so much detail in them. And it's made me notice wells more, you know, even if I'm outside for other reasons, you know, sometimes I'm noticing things and thinking, I wonder if that's related to a well. It gives you a new perspective. So wells are enormous indicators of history. Looking at a well's location, its name, or the source material around it can reveal all kinds of things about local and global historical movements. For me, the living quality of flowing wells really drives home the point that history is not done. It's an ever-evolving process that we are all a part of. In their often still functioning existence, wells are a reminder that the story is not over and we would do well to keep listening. Thanks to you for listening. And thanks also to 12th Day for the music, Dr. Peter Hewitt, Lynn Woolby, Paul Connor and Claire Martin for the chats, and National Lottery Heritage Fund and Historic Environment Scotland for their support for the Can You Dig It project. In the next and final episode in this series, I will be returning closer to my home and the mysterious Green Well of Scotland. Until then, 